You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's good to see you all in worship. I feel strangely vulnerable behind this. It's like I'm shocked they couldn't find a smaller one. <laughs> well, this afternoon, I want to remind you, we have our Glory of Christmas concert here in the sanctuary at 4 p.m. It's going to be a fantastic concert. Uh, invite some friends. Also, want to remind you, uh, year-end giving. Remember us in your charitable giving at the end of the year. We take a majority of our revenue in at the end of the year that funds the mission and ministry at Roswell Presbyterian Church throughout the year. If you're wondering how we've been at work in the midst uh, since COVID hit, we've put together a recap report on the church website. You can see all the creative ways. We've tried to find ways to do ministry and continue the work that God has called us to. You can find that on the church website. Well, last Sunday, Lindsay gave a fantastic sermon on the theme of peace looking at Philippians 4. We're going to go in rewind to go to the first chapter of Paul's great letter to the church in Philippi, uh, Philippians 1. And we're going to look at the theme of love. What does it mean to be a community gathered together in love? Let us open our hearts and minds and listen for God's word from Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel for the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to the completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart for all of you sharing God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does it mean to be a community gathered together in love? In the end, this is what a church is called to do. It's a community of fallen and fallible sinners who are brought together to love one another. And this kind of love isn't sentimental or abstract. It's meant to be lived out in the rough and tumble of our lives. It's got an earthy quality to it, a hands-onness. It's bringing dinner over to someone when they're sick. It's doing the inconvenience of maybe wearing a mask some, sometimes around somebody who's vulnerable. It's about holding the door for that person in the walker who's coming behind you. It's teaching that Sunday school class when it veers right next to chaos. It can also mean helping your neighbors with an aggressive, attacking owl. Now, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, that comment is going to sound very random. 
But if you were here, you remember that I told a story about we have a neighborhood owl that's been attacking people. And in my 15, 15 years of preaching, this easily made the top five in terms of feedback I received from the congregation. <laughs> After the sermon, many people shared their own stories of being attacked by birds. Some people questioned whether a tennis racket would really be sufficient to fend off an owl. One woman gleefully told me a story of her standing, watching from her dining room window as her husband was in the front yard attacked by a bluebird. There were also a bunch of people questioning whether I had made the whole thing up. There are doubting Thomases among us. So today, I've come with proof. I brought pictures from the neighborhood Facebook page. Post number one, our neighborhood owl grazed me twice this morning on Camden when I was running around at 7.45. No harm done, but it's a disconcerting experience. Next time I will be wearing a hat. The owl appears about the size of my beagle. Post number two, the owl was up to his old tricks this morning, around 6.30 a.m. in front of 28.46. What is interesting is that there were three of us walking together, and now you're going to get a little insight onto some neighborhood politics. Although we were spread across the street, as many folks have complained about in the past, first time I've heard of a multi-person attack. He swooped down a couple of times, touching our heads then landed first on a power line, then in this tree, and just gave us the stink eye. <laughs> Tracking his movement and attacks could be a great science project for one of the neighborhood kids, just hoping into, this woman's throwing our kids to the owl. <laughs> Post number three. Culprit came to visit us tonight. We're at the corner of Brighton and Montclair, landed 10 feet away and eyed our fish for a few minutes. Very brazen. Who does he think he is? <laughs> kind of cheeky there. Post number four. On the topic of owls, ellipsis, if you or any friends have an unfortunate encounter with the neighborhood owl, please fill out this form at surveymonkey.com. We already have 23 people who have completed the form to help us understand where the owl might be residing, or at least what areas to avoid if it is dark. When a community is under attack, you have to come together in a spirit of love, practically. And there are many threats to our community, and they go way beyond vicious owls. Housing affordability, food insecurity, loneliness, health problems, mental health issues, spiritual depression. I could go on and on. How does a, a Christian community respond to a world gone awry? If you think that this is the first time that the church has had to wrestle with doing ministry in difficult circumstances, think again. In the second century, in Rome, plague hits Rome. 5,000 Roman citizens a day were dying. Christian community came together to say, how can we serve how can we be a force for good? It's one of the reasons their numbers exploded. In the second century, 
We saw that. But then in the 1527, we saw bubonic plague hits Wittenberg. Martin Luther, the great reformer, is doing ministry. If you find his writings on this, it's fascinating. All the creative ways they tried to find a way to do ministry. Fewer than 100 years later, John Calvin, if you read his biography, he's hopping from city to city on the run from the plague, finally lands in Geneva and says, how can we serve? How can we minister? How can we take care of people? Our faith is made for tough times. It's because it was born in the crucible of disease, despair, and death itself. Take, for instance, today's passage. Paul is writing what ends up being his last letter to a church. He writes a letter to a person, 2 Timothy. That's his last letter. But this is his last letter to a church, the church in Philippi. And he's in prison. He's in chains. He's held on a capital offense. He doesn't know how much time he has left. He writes to this great church. Talks about how to do ministry in tough times. How to be a community of love when the world has gone awry. I think here we have four features Paul kind of reveals in this opening chapter. Number one, Paul begins with gratitude. Paul is so grateful for his friendship with the Philippians. Remember this past fall when we studied the book of Acts, we actually read the story when Paul founded the church in Philippi. He was there with some friends and he heard about some God-fearers. God-fearers are Gentiles or non-Jews who worship God. And they were down by the river praying. So he and his friends go down there And they tell him the good news about what God had done in Jesus Christ. And the first woman to convert, Lydia, a famous rich businesswoman, sold purple cloth. And then she and her whole household convert. And that is the first church in Europe. Everything changes for them. And I imagine Paul has that story in the back of his mind as he writes, I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is sitting in chains in prison, and yet he starts this great letter with gratitude. It's what he has to be thankful for. I think when we pray, starting with gratitude and all the things we have to be thankful for is a good way to start. Thank you. Look where we were at and look where we're at now. We have so much to be grateful for. Second, a community of love uses ellipses and not periods. Paul says in verse 6, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Saying, never put a period on anyone's life. There's always an ellipsis. An ellipsis is when you see to be continued, dot, 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 that dot, dot, dot is an ellipsis. Never put a period on someone's life. There's always an ellipsis. The story is not over. It's not the end. Paul is saying, who would have thought that a little visit down by the the riverside would have led to the, the first church in Europe? This Lydia, this famous purple purveyor of linen. Yes, who would have thought that a baby born in a manger, raised as a Jewish peasant in the backwoods of the Roman Empire, would one day be hailed as Savior of the world? Who would have thought you'd be here today, that I'd be here 
that we'd be here together. Who would have thought? We never know the unpredictable things that God is up to in the world. How God's hidden hand is moving in our lives, in our community's life. Never put a period on anyone's life. It's always an ellipsis. There's always a to be continued. As I was preparing this message, I thought of a story I hadn't thought of in years. I knew a woman named Beth. She was estranged from her ex-husband who had left her and her family. And I knew her much later, and she was still consumed with bitterness, anger, rage, self-hatred in a lot of ways. Well, it came time that one of her daughters was getting married. And Beth had recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. She didn't have much time left. And so they wanted to rush the wedding, and so the wedding happened. And then there was a reception afterwards. And we were a little worried about the reception that there might be a scene. And I remember at one point during the reception, her ex-husband crosses that long, long room and goes over to her. And he apologizes to her for all that had happened. He says, I'm sorry. And you could just see the relief as she forgave him. The grace that came over them. And then he asked her, would you like to dance? And so he escorted her onto the dance floor, and there they danced. And I remember as we were watching, there wasn't a dry eye in there because we all knew the story. And we all had thought there was a period on that relationship. We all thought there was a, a period on hate, a, a, a period on fear. Oh, but God was at work behind the scenes, the hidden hand. Never put a period, always use an ellipsis. Number three, remember, we are all here because of God's grace. Paul writes, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me. There's something special that happens when we recognize and celebrate the fact that we are only here because of grace. God's grace is the foundation of this community, of our relationships. Grace. No one deserves to be here. Something powerful happens. We feel blessed by grace. I was doing premarital counseling not too long ago with a young couple. In case you ever have to do it with me. The first question I always ask is, why are you getting married? And there was a little surprise. I say, you should have thought about this. <laughs> and they say, well... Because we're in love, which is the right answer, by the way. And then he goes, you know what? I just feel, I feel like I got such a great deal. I can't believe she's marrying me. And then she goes, you know what? I feel like I got such a great deal. I can't believe he's marrying me. And I said, that's great. That's both how you should feel. You should feel so lucky. I hope you feel it in five years because you should continue to feel that. That's how we should feel. We're so lucky. We're so blessed by grace can transform our relationships to see ourselves here because of grace and show grace to others. Paul, just like the Philippians, say we are here because of God's grace. Number four, love leads to knowledge and knowledge leads to love. Paul writes in verse 9, And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. One of the saddest things I've ever heard someone say is this. 
If you really get to know me, you won't love me. Isn't this, isn't this kind of the fear in a lot of our hearts? If you really get to know me, you won't love me. I know there's that fear in all of us, and I'm reminded of Walker Percy's line in his fantastic book, Love in the Ruins, where he writes, we love those who know the worst about us and don't turn their faces away. Paul says, knowledge should lead to love and love should lead to knowledge. That we have nothing to fear. That God loves us, God is for us. And this is a community full of love. It's amazing what can happen when we find love at the foundation of our relationships and of our community. Over the, fa- over the past five years, the week after Thanksgiving, I've gone up to New York City where my favorite band plays uh, in Brooklyn. I go on Thursday and Friday night to those concerts so I can be back for Sunday. And I just love doing it. I, and over the years, I've gone up to New York a lot. I did grad school up near there. And, and what, I, I love New York. But one of the things I'm going to tell you is not the most warm and fuzzy place you've ever been. You know, like, you know, if you ask for directions, they'll, they'll help you point you in the direction, but they're not going to ask you how you're doing today or like how your family is or what your favorite color is or do you like flour? And there's none of that. Well, I was up there last week and it was weird. Everybody was so nice. People are saying hello on the streets, you know, complimenting your fashion sense. I mean, it was bizarre. And so I had coffee plans with one of my best friends from college. And so we meet up. She li- lives up there. And so we're going to go to coffee. It's Lauren. So we were walking. We, and I'm telling her this. I'm like, what is going on in New York? What are people drinking? Everybody's being so nice. And so we go into this coffee shop. I order two lattes. I pay for it. And you know me, like shooting off my mouth. I, you know, I make some joke or whatever. And I laugh at myself because no one else will. And so I laugh. And then the barista stops. I kid you not. I'm not, the barista stops and says, sir? I said, yeah? She goes, I love your laugh. <laughs> I, I go, look, what is that? You could have knocked me over with a feather. What is going on? <laughs> and Lauren says, Lauren says, Jeff, if you'd been through what we've been through, now to have tourists back, people coming into a coffee shop, people, people, people are just so happy. We're so happy to be back together. Be a community of love together in love. We, here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, are a community of love. That's what I hope for everyone, that you feel loved. And basically, that's my only parenting philosophy. I hope Major feels loved. I think especially over the past few years, there's been just so much hate and fear fear and anger in our culture. I just, I don't want that to be the thing that shadows his life. And so we've tried to instill that he is loved. God loves you. We love you. In fact, my wife Courtney does this routine at night when she, when he puts on his pajamas. She'll recite all of the people that love him. Mommy and daddy love major. Sassy and grandpa love major. Grammy and grandpa love major. So we've frequent our local Starbucks quite often. And the baristas and cashiers have really taken a liking to Major. And they always wave. They say, hi. How's he doing? It was funny. So the other day, 
Courtney and he went to get coffee and as they were pulling out of the drive-thru, Major says, the Starbucks ladies love Major. (laughs) They never said they loved him, but he knew it because they were cheering him on. They cared for him. And are we going to be a community where people know they're loved? I want you to know your love, this community to know its love, that God has loved us in Jesus Christ, and we are a community gathered together in love. I hope every young person that comes to Roswell Presbyterian Church knows that this church cares about them. They are valued. They are loved. I hope our grand adults know they are valued. They are loved. And everybody in between, because we are a community of love. That's one of the things we celebrate at Advent, that God has come in Jesus Christ to establish a community of love. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you that you love us so much more than we can hope or imagine. I pray that that love might shine into our lives and in this community, that we might be a community that feels the love and also loves. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.